Hey friends, welcome to God on Tap. And as always, I am Nika Spaulding and we are going to press on in the book of Jude. We're looking at verses 14 to 16 today. So Jude 14 to 16. And this is the word of the Lord. It was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They are loudmouth boasters showing favoritism to gain advantage. And this is the word of the Lord. Ooh, okay, so I've got a working theory about Jude. I, one, think he was totally a hippie, and two, I think he was kind of a bad mamma jamma. You gotta hear me out and understand this. Like, if you think about, like, every movie you've ever seen where there's sort of this this hero figure that, like, comes and is, like, sick of the bad guys sort of terrorizing the weak kids, right? So it's, like, maybe, like, the bully is picking on the weak kid and then suddenly this other kid steps between them and he's like, you better walk away. And then there's always that pivotal moment. And it's like, and if you don't, this is what I'm going to do to you. I'm going to knock your teeth out. I'm going to give you a black eye. I'm going to sick my big brother on you. Like whatever those moments are, right? You, it's like these moments and it's like this total hero moment. I think in some ways Jude has reached that point in his letter. So just, I know it's been a while since I've recorded. And so just by way of recap, we have the book of Jude starting out like a normal letter would. Hey, this is Jude, the half-brother of James, yada, yada, yada. And then we get our purpose statement. He's like, hey, I wanted to write to you about these things, but I need to address these people among us. I need to address these false teachers. And then he goes on this long tirade comparing these false teachers to all these like like most wanted list of bad folks from the Old Testament, as well as like extra biblical literature. So he's like, these people, they're like Cain, they're like Korah, they're like Balaam, and on and on and on and on he goes. And then he continues on as if that wasn't enough. He catches his breath. He's like, <gasps> and they're also like, and then he gives us metaphors like uh, reefs, hidden reefs, so that your boats get wrecked, and you're like you're like clouds with no rain. Like you make promises and you don't deliver. And it's this like really incredible imagery, like this like really bright language that. Jude's coming and then it's like he stops and I like to imagine he gets real steely eyed and he's like and you know what's going to happen to you and this is where we have reached this point in the letter where Jude is now narrowing his focus and he's no longer now comparing them to these like who's who of the bad guys of scripture but now he's saying hey by the way this is what's going to happen to you if you don't stop And really, in verses 14 through 18, we have two different warnings. The one that we read today, the 14 through 16 that we talked about today, that's really an ancient warning. And so what he's doing is he's borrowing from ancient scripture, the Old Testament scripture, to warn these false teachers. And really, he's probably, in some ways, warning the recipients of this letter about what's going to happen to these false teachers. Ergo, don't follow these false teachers, right? It's sort of like, hey, if you follow them... What's coming for them, you don't want coming for you. So don't follow them is a little bit of what's going on here. And so this today was our ancient warning. And then tomorrow we'll look at the more modern warning where he's going to borrow from the New Testament scriptures to use these warnings. 
And so just looking at today, well, Jude being the guy who intervenes in the middle of a bully fight, he's still our, our lovely hippie, right? Jude still leave it to Jude to come and bring this warning and to quote first Enoch. And so that's what he's doing here is when he's warning these false teachers, he's quoting from the book of Enoch. We've talked about it before of what that book is. It's not scriptural, but it would have been literature that would have been held in high regard among the people, the audience, the Jewish folks that Jude is writing to. Not necessarily scripture, but scripture that would have referenced, or excuse me, not scripture, but literature that would have referenced scripture. And that's exactly what we have going on here. Jude is referencing the book of 1st Enoch from chapter 1, verse 9. And in that passage in 1st Enoch, we have it quoting several Old Testament passages. Deuteronomy 33.2, Zechariah 14.5, Isaiah 66, 15 through 16. And so Jude is very effectively quoting First Enoch, which is then quoting the Old Testament, and he's dropping sort of this Old Testament reference on his readers, as well as the false teacher saying, hey, you better watch out. And so what is he doing here? Well, one, it's kind of fun to see what's going on here. So Enoch, the story of Enoch is found in Genesis 5. It's a story about a man who is in the lineage of Adam. And that's why he says the seventh. Seven is this really powerful number in biblical imagery and understanding and all that stuff. And so Enoch is this man. We don't have a ton of information about him. The biblical story in, in Genesis 5 tells us that he was a righteous man. He walked with God and then he was sort of taken up. Like he didn't, he didn't die. Like he just, God just took him up and we're supposed to kind of, we don't, we don't really know the mechanism by which that happens, but that's who Enoch is. So Enoch was always considered a very righteous man. He's one of two people that that's how God takes them home. And Elijah being the second one, the prophet Elijah. And so we have Enoch and Elijah who have very odd endings to their lives. Well, because Enoch is held in such high regard, it would be normal then for somebody much later to write a book, a, sp- a wisdom book, a spiritual book, a, a religious text like the book of First Enoch, and to name it after Enoch. So nobody who's reading First Enoch thinks it's actually written by that Enoch from Genesis 5. There's obviously hundreds of years in between the two. But that's most likely why they would pick a character like Enoch, because he's a guy held in such high regard. So Jude then takes our book of First Enoch, he quotes it, and then he's saying, hey, this is what's going to happen to you. And it's really interesting because what he's quoting is a passage from First Enoch, like I mentioned, that already quotes Deuteronomy, Zechariah, Isaiah. Well, those passages, those specific passages are passages that are used in very apocalyptic, judgmental language for those who rebelled from God in the Old Testament. It's as if Jude is comparing these false teachers to the mo- like to the massive rebellion that God contends with in the Old Testament. And God says, hey, listen, at some point, I'm going to come and deal with these rebellious people. Like I myself am going to come and deal with them. And that is what Jude is comparing these false teachers in the New Testament church to those Old Testament folks who were rebelling from God and have these like incredible imagery language, especially in the, in the book of prophets, like in the Zechariah and Isaiah. And these, these are like really powerful, strongly worded passages that Jude is going, remember those passages? Remember the very strong language reserved for those who were rebelling from God? Yeah. That's how God feels about you. And it's like, oh my gosh, Jude, bro, you are not holding back. Uh, and so what is, what does that mean for us, right? What's going on here? Well, I think what Jude is saying is, listen, in the same way that God sent his tens of thousands, the way I read it, you have that ten, ten thousands, the, the Hebrew is like, or excuse me, the Greek is like 
10, 10 thousands or it's, it's just meant to be a lot. He's saying, listen, this stuff is coming for you all because, and if you notice in the ESV, I think I said the word ungodly four different times. And that he's saying, listen, the reason why this very strong Old Testament language about those who rebelled from God, I can now take and apply it to this situation is because you are as ungodly as those Old Testament examples of rebellion. He's saying they're one and the same, that you think it's no big deal that you go around and you teach these false gospels. You think it's no big deal that you go around and do these things. And I'm telling you, God himself is going to send a legion of an army to come and deal with you. I mean, that is some strong language to offer to a bully who's beating up the people that you're trying to stand in between. Um, I love the way that it, it's interesting, depending on the translations, there's a lot of difference between the translations. And so uh, in the ESV, I read that they are grumblers, malcontents, and they are loudmouth boasters, which by the way, malcontent, isn't that just an awesome word? It just means somebody's not happy. And But this is the way that the net reads it. It says they are grumblers and fault finders wherever their desires lead them, and they give bombastic speeches. Bombastic. Like, what a great word. So what is Jude ultimately saying? He's saying, listen, you guys are so ungodly. You're so ungodly that the, that the apocalyptic language reserved from their people who rebelled from God in the Old Testament, the stuff that Zechariah and Isaiah, like that level of ungodliness, that's the same level that you possess because you go around grumbling about God's good law, and you make these bombastic speeches, which is to say they're drawing attention to themselves. Everybody loves, right, like a crowd forms when you hear these loud people that they're making these ridiculous, loud speeches to draw attention. And then he ends this little passage, which and they show favoritism. And most likely what we think is going on here, scholars say, is basically these false teachers come in, they're loud, they're arrogant, they complain about God's law, and they kind of butter up the rich people. That's the showing favoritism part, which is interesting. Because if you look at the other other parts of scripture, especially the book of James, which is Jude's brother, right? I mean, Jude's, Jude, Jude and James are brothers, the brothers of Jesus. And James also says, hey, don't play favoritism. Why? Because in the early church, you have so many people gathering that would have been from such different socioeconomic classes, such different just even classes of like whether you were slave or freedman or citizen, right? Male, female, young, old, whether you're a child or an adult and all of that. And so you can imagine God is trying to create a community of people where there's equity and righteousness. So if you come in and you're the type of person that offers bombastic speeches, you're a loudmouth malcontent. And you say things to the rich people trying to gain their favor so that they will offer you money so you can continue on your itinerant preaching and your ungodly ways. Like that's the exact opposite of the instructions that Jesus' brothers are offering to the church. They're saying, listen, this is how you can know these false teachers are ungodly is because they're, they are not humble, right? You have Paul saying, listen, it doesn't matter if you speak of tongues of angels. If you do not have love, you are a clanging symbol. Like he's using language that's like the, the sound of his words are meant to like accost yours, like clang, 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 symbol, right? He's, it's very clear what Paul is saying is like, even though you maybe are very eloquent of speech, if you're not doing it lovingly, you're like, you're, you're ear, terrorism, right? You're hurting our ears with your lack of love. Paul goes to say this. This is what now Judah's saying here. Listen, you make these bombastic speeches. You are loud mouth boasters, right? You, you are cost our ears. And then 
You suck up to the people who have the money to keep you in business. And what does God think about that? He is going to unleash the angel armies to come and take you out for your ungodliness. This is like crazy language, except that it's in the Bible and we have to make do with it. So what are we, so what's our soa, right? So is, should we be weary every time a preacher is loud? I hope not because I am loud. In fact, as I'm even recording this, I keep saying that I'm hitting the upper registers of volume and I need to turn my game down. So that's one thing. I don't know that it's necessarily your volume, right? I don't, I don't know that it's that. I think it's a continuing in the vein of these warnings. You can, you can, obviously you kind of want these doctrinal points to to take over right you we've talked about this like what are the essentials of the faith what are the things that you as a christian must believe is is anybody ever violating these things and jude is saying be weary uh, be leery of those who would come in and would take you away right and it begs the question over and over again what kind of person is the type of person that jude's talking about and will we know it right will we know it well again here's more sort of litmus test that jude is offering to us first of all it's not just that they're loud volume, but are they self-referential? Are they boastful? Is their speech about the goodness of our God, how great God is, or is the speech about their own goodness? Is their speech the kind that when you receive it, it's met with kindness and charity and beauty? Right. I've, I talked about this in another class that I taught where we sometimes like to divide the Lord up based on his attributes, where we'll be like, well, God is merciful. And that's it. And you go, no, 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 God is merciful and just. And those things don't compete. He is both of those things at the same time. And God is not only transcendent, like he is, he is so big and so unknowable, but he's also imminent. He's near and close to us and he wants a relationship with us. And we have a hard time with that because it requires that we hold things in tension. And we, as humans, we just don't like tension. Sometimes we like black and white. So we try to relieve the tension. So what happens is sometimes the way we communicate the truths of God, the only lens through which we pass it through is, is it true? Is it true? But there are other lenses. And specifically, the transcendental is God. Is it true? Is it beautiful? And is it good? Because if you're offering truth that doesn't come with that beauty of love, like Paul talks about, then I'm not sure you're offering the full picture of what you're meant to communicate. So, so many times we're worried because we don't maybe know our scripture as well as we should, or maybe we don't know our theology. And so we have a lot of fear sometimes when we approach the text of Jude and saying, gosh, maybe I won't know when a false teacher comes in among us. Maybe I won't know when somebody is trying to take me away. And this is where I'd say, listen, if you have a lens of, is the person saying things that are true? beautiful and good about God and his creation and how he feels about us. And if anything they're teaching is violating those things, that's a good way to kind of throw up a yellow flag and maybe a red flag and go, ooh, if the preacher that you are following, if the teachers you're listening to, if the authors you're reading, if the podcasts you're listening to are always about themselves, and listen, good preachers talk about themselves. We use examples from our lives, right? Good podcasters do that. It's not, it's not to say that there's not a place for us to, to be authentic and insert ourselves, but if it's loudmouth boasting, if it's bombastic speech, that should be a clear warning to you. So that's one thing is that is the speaker loudmouth? Is it clanging against your ears because they're not speaking of the beauty, goodness, and, and truth of God? That's one good warning. The second warning that I think we take away from this is, is the person that you're following, are they always looking for those who can do something for them? And I think the sneaky way this works in the Christian church is not always about money, but about clout. Okay. And so what I mean by this is like, 
you guys know, sometimes there's just cool Christians in the room. There's just people that maybe you want to get to know because they've written some books or they've done a podcast or whatever. And do they have time to be invested in those who can do nothing for them, who can't get them the next invitation to the next conference and the next whatever? Are they willing to make investments simply because it's good to be relational? Or are these the kind of people who only busy themselves with those who have money, those who have clout, those who have good reputation, right? I think these are the things that we have to be leery of because it goes back to the kind of church that Jesus was trying to establish that his brothers, James and Jude, reference here. We are to be a people without a hierarchy. We are all brothers and sisters, and when we come to the cross, it's equal footing, it's level ground. So we come to the cross not as those clamoring to get ahead or above or below, but we, unlike the Gentiles, come to serve, to give ourselves away, to to be the lowly ones that wash feet. That is the kind of teacher that you want to be following, is one who doesn't clamor to be at the top, but instead walks the way of Christ and chooses to be last chooses to serve, chooses to wash the feet, chooses to forsake their own personal gain and glory to not maybe sit at the cool kids table, to not go on the cool kids trip, to not only be associated with those who can provide them money or or clout or return. So how does this apply to many of us though? right? Um, most of us, right, we're probably not going to be hanging out with cool Christian celebrities. Most of us are probably not going to, like, right, so many of us are probably sitting at home, and we have pastors who probably aren't bombastic. We follow people who probably aren't these antinomians, but what does this mean for us? Well, one of the big things that the ungodly, the ungodly, the ungodly, one of the commentators, Richard uh, Bauckham, who wrote a Jude commentary, says one of the things that's so effective about Jude's use of First Enoch is he's pointing out in the same way In the same way that the Old Testament saints or the Old Testament rebellious people turned away from God and he sent warning to them by way of Zechariah, Isaiah, and Deuteronomy. In the same way, it's because they did not delight in the law of the Lord. And what Jude is saying is that same posture of rejecting God's good law, rejecting God's good will, rejecting God's good way is what these teachers are doing today. He's saying those are one and the same. That essentially is this term antinomianism or anti-lawness, that you do not believe that God's way is good, that God's law is good, that God's way of living is good. And that's what these false teachers are ultimately being accused of, is they grumble at God's goodness and turn away and create a law unto themselves. And so I think the personal so what for us is just a good challenge to consider, do we delight in the good law that God has given us? Do we find ourselves, as Psalm 1 declares, to, to walk in the, to not walk in the counsel of the wicked and all that, but instead our delight is in the law of the Lord and we meditate on it day and night because God's way is good. And listen, I think in theory we go, oh, of course, God's way is good. But in, in reality, sometimes I don't always want to be humble. Sometimes I don't always want to be generous. Sometimes I don't want to fill in the blank. And I think that's a good time for us to take a little inventory, especially in a, in a season where I'm guessing many of you are listening to this at home and so many of your uh, ways of life have been disrupted because of the pandemic. It's a good question to ask. Do I delight in the law of the Lord? Or is there a part of me who kind of understands where these false teachers are coming from? Because sometimes I just kind of want to do it my way. And it's a good question and a good chance to repent of those tendencies. I think if we're being honest, we all have moments when we'd say, I know God's way is good and right intellectually, but my heart and my stomach 
kind of want something else right now. And I think it'd be a good challenge for us to just take a moment of that inventory and ask ourselves that, and then be willing to repent of the places in which we would have rather have it our way. All right, friends, if nobody's told you today that they love you, I do. But way more importantly, the God whose law is good and his way is right. He's crazy about you. Peace.